You are listening to Ready When You Are, the podcast for humans who want to explore different concepts, practices, and our role in our own health and wellness. Thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Andrew Hartman. On today's podcast, we are going to be joined by a dear friend of mine and a colleague, Sophie Lovell. Sophie is a registered holistic nutritionist who specializes in fertility and perinatal support, which is really cool. She's also a practicing yoga instructor, an avid outdoor adventurer, and a big picture thinker. Sophie helps people establish a healthy relationship with food where they can harness its power to build a happy, productive life. I am really excited to have Sophie join us today to talk about getting started with nutrition and our relationships with food. Sophie, thank you for joining us and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So excited to talk to you and to talk about this thing that I love to chat about. Yeah, it's it's going to be a good time. Um, yeah, I'm I'm ready when you are. Let's do it. Okay, let's jump in. So let's let's start really easy and kind of like help frame for us like what really is nutrition. Like when we say that, we use that word a lot, but what is nutrition? Yeah, I think for everybody it's different. I think the the important thing that I think about often when I'm working with clients, when I'm thinking about my nutrition is that a, it's different for everybody. And also that it's very emotional. So, so when we think about food and we think about our relationship to food, it's never the same from person to person. And there's often reasons why it is that way. So for me, I would say nutrition is what we put in our body and noticing and feeling what it does to us. Yeah. I think that's so important that, uh, I've done some reading around how just physicians have changed, like the practice as change of the year, but like the importance of that individual relationship with what we're consuming and how that can be so different from person to person. For sure. And I think, you know, I didn't really think it was super, you know, we think about like the cultural differences and things like that, which are more, I would say more obvious, but, um, one place where I saw this, like sort of hit me in the face was when I was learning about food introduction for kids. And so we were talking about the schedule of like when kids should start eating things. And a big thing is with like different cultures, if that's a cultural food for them, you can introduce it at a different time, usually typically earlier than you would with a kid who's that like whose culture doesn't eat that specific food as regularly or something like that. So I thought that was really cool and just like shows you the like foundation of where this kind of differentiation comes from as well as like, just like what I like is not what you like. And even like the way that I taste a food isn't the way that you taste a food. Um, So it can be individual on so many different levels. Did we just j- dive into cilantro like right away? <laughs> <laughs> of just, uh, I feel like that is like the hallmark of cilantro of a good example of like, uh, it will be different person to person. <laughs> For sure. I feel like cilantro is a funny one though, because it's like, typically, I feel like there are a few outliers, but like, typically it's like a heck yes, or like a mm, definitely no. So yeah. Yeah. 
but I have a friend who like told me that he doesn't like enjoy like very much enjoy any foods that like every food is just like okay to him and I could not wrap my head my my head around that yeah that like yeah there's we just gotta expose that person to more food um (laughs) so when we think about nutrition what are some common because like as someone who practices with a lot of folks like what are some common misconceptions around nutrition yeah I think one of the things that I like to shift people away from so much is diet culture I think that's like the biggest um the biggest challenge that I face I think we think about diet culture so when I say that I think you instantly think like oh I'm on the Atkins diet or I'm on the keto diet or I'm restricting or whatever it may be um and I think that that is one part but I think that because of the world that we've grown up in and the world that we're exposed to it really is interlaced into so much that we do. Um, I recently saw someone commenting about, you know, people talk about how the food in Europe is so much better than the food in America or North America. Um, And her simple comment was like, how great is it that I can go to a restaurant and there aren't calories listed on the menu? And so like, it's more than this like concept of being on a diet or like putting ourselves in these diet boxes. Um, it's really part of our life in so many ways. And I think that people, when they feel the misconception is that when people feel like they are like coming to see a nutritionist or, you know, going to take the step to be healthy, that they are going to be forced to, or suggested to, or that they're going to have to go on a diet. Um, I don't even use that word in my practice. Uh, I think that that, you know, it's an overused word and it has a lot of connotations to it. And I think that, you know, I spoke about having that response or learning that response in your body to food and that being part of nutrition. And I think that when we talk about diet culture, and when we talk about being in those boxes, we lose that connection with how food is implicating our bodies and listening to that feeling. I think like, it's so true. Like the, the word diet, like it's not, uh, it's often not even used correctly or like interpreted correctly. I, I remember the other day I was, well, this would have been a few months now, but I was talking to someone about, I said like, oh yeah, like I'm really working on my diet. And they're like, oh, how much weight do you want to lose? And my actual diet had nothing to do with weight. It was actually about, I was like, oh, I'm trying to improve my energy levels. I'm trying to um, reduce levels of inflammation, uh, trying to just like feel more better. But like the fact that if I use the word diet, people assume weight loss, but it's like, no diet is like food is medicine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I think that we've really lost connection with the food that we eat. I also, you know, I have my original um, education is in more food systems stuff. And I find it really interesting that the farther we are from the farm or the farther we are from the production like where the food is produced, the 
the farther we are from what that food is or how that food affects us or or just it's most it's almost like it's literal you know that the farther we are from where the the tomato is picked from the vine the farther we are from like how that feels or how that affects us or what nutrition is yeah i don't know if that makes sense but like just feeling so disconnected i think maybe is a better way to say it from from our food yeah when like weaving in a lot of like some indigenous worldviews from like turtle island of right that relationship with the land and i'm hearing that also with the food like that's where the food comes from right and there's that importance uh and it is a really interesting like i know even honey locally right actually has more benefits because of the pollen right it's coming from the similar allergens um that yeah that that location that connection is something that is so disconnected now in present day society for sure and like you know the more packaged food is um i don't know my partner and i were just in the grocery store and it was actually funny we focus a lot on like what's the ingredients that are in the food that we buy so when we buy something that is a product so not just a produce. Um, when we buy something that is a product, we always look at the ingredients and try to buy something that like, we know what all the ingredients are. And we were standing, um, at the cereal cereal is a very challenging one. Um, so we were standing at the cereal wall and we were looking at them and we were, we came across this preservative that was in so many of them. And we were just chatting about it between the two of us. And this guy came and you could tell he was a regular Shreddies consumer and he <laughs> put his Shreddies in the, in the cart and he turned to us and he said, am I poisoning myself? And my partner said to him, it's hard not to. Um, and I think mm. that that is the truth. And like, you know, in so much of our processed foods, there are things that you have no idea what they are. I think the number of people that even think about that is pretty low. And just like, yeah, I think just finding food that's clean is more and more challenging. Yeah. And like with this distance, I'm thinking about the distance between us with our food, even in the past like five years has gotten even worse. And and I'm completely guilty of this, that skip the dishes pretty much sponsors my life sometimes when things get really busy. But like, even that is like, so disremoved of sometimes that chain is like if I order from like a chain it's like they got the ingredients from somewhere they cooked it somewhere else they throw it flash flash froze it delivered it somewhere else they made it and it gets like that is so far removed from it actually being anywhere close to uh where I'm from right And then you have to think about, you know, each of those processes. So even if you're eating, like, say it's like a vegetable curry or something, and that is the way that it came to you. And those vegetables have been previously frozen or come from a can or whatever. Each one of those processes that happens, even when vegetables are picked from the plant prior to being ripened. So all of these things play a role in the amount of nutrients that are actually in that vegetable. And so, you know, you can be doing, ordering the food that you think is the healthiest or, you know, a good option that's going to be filling or whatever. It may still be not 
as nutrient dense as you, as you think it may be. And so, yeah, I think the place we're at right now is a really good point of, uh, for people who are right, trying to rebuild this relationship with their food, uh, it can be so overwhelming, right? Nutrition, science, right? There can be a lot of conflicting uh, information. Um, what are some things that if I'm starting out and maybe for the listeners, but also just for me, because uh, I need to work on this, uh, what are what should I know if I'm starting out? What is really those key things to know when we're just starting out on this journey? So there's two things that I tell everyone. Um, I always say these number a number of times in every workshop that I do. Um, but I think that these little tidbits, I'm just going to give you two to start because they're very easy. And then I'm going to go into one that's maybe a little bit harder. Um, so the first one is when you wake up in the morning before you do anything, have a glass of lemon water. So when I say lemon water, I'm saying like, if it's possible, half a, half a lemon juiced in a glass of water and consume that. And again, maybe waiting up to half an hour before you consume anything else. So this is sort of a shift that is helpful um, for a number of reasons. It can sort of stimulate, it's, it stimulates your digestive system to start working. So essentially it stimulates your, your, your stomach acid to, to start going, um, peristalsis. So the action of your digestive system to sort of move things through. And you may see for those who don't like this, maybe plug your ears, but you may see that if you have your lemon juice every day, that you'll see that your body starts getting used to it and you'll actually have your morning poop right after you have your lemon water because everything's like starting to go. Yeah. It also stimulates your liver and also really helps filter out your liver. So it's a liver supportive practice as well, which, you know, we really need to respect our liver. It does a lot of things for our body. Um, and there's not a lot of emphasis that we give our liver on a day-to-day basis. Um, and it's important for so many of the functions that happen in our bodies. Nice. Uh, I love, okay. So I know right away, someone's thinking this in their head, like, and I probably know what you're going to say, uh, based on what we said already, but so I should probably use a natural lemon rather than lemon juice in a bottle. Hmm. Good. Nice. Okay. So there's a few points here. Yes. Uh, a lemon, a physical lemon, yellow one, they come with a peel on them. Um, best option. Next, next case scenario, they are getting more and more expensive and talk about distance. They don't come from here. So here being near where I live in Ontario. Um, so the next best thing is like finding an organic lemon juice substitute. If you don't want to go that route, Apple cider vinegar is an alternative. So you can get apple cider vinegar, one tablespoon, your choice. Here's your choice. Either take it like a shot. That'll wake you up in the morning. Or you can add it to water. My method with apple cider vinegar is to add it to a little bit of water because the shot is just a little bit too much for me. But if I add it to a full glass of water, then I have to commit to drinking a full glass of water that tastes like apple cider vinegar, which some people say they love the taste of. I just can't really get on board, but I'll do it because I know it's good for me. 
and still waiting that 30 minutes after with the apple cider vinegar shot. Yeah, it's a little more challenging. You may find that that is a little more challenging to wait, um, but you can work up to it. That's what I'll say. Yeah. The other thing that I will tell you about vinegar that's really cool is that there's an acid in vinegar that helps your cells uptake sugar, which is really important for one of the things that I also work with most of my perinatal clients on um, is blood sugar control, which I would say the majority of us need help on. So the acid in the vinegar helps your cells uh, uptake sugar, which means it takes it out of your blood, which means that if you actually, this push, um, this woman on Instagram, I think she's called the glucose goddess. She's done a ton of research on this. She's got a book. She's phenomenal. Um, she did a test. So glucose, um, continuous glucose monitors are a thing that a lot of people are trying out now. So she's doing that and testing things and seeing how it impacts her. This is another point on, sorry, I've gone on like four tangents now, but this is another point on how personal nutrition is because, you know, she can tell you how it affected her, but that doesn't mean that it's going to affect you in the exact same way. So she had her glucose monitor on, she had a basket of French fries, plain French fries, her blood sugar spiked. She tried French fries with vinegar and she had a much lower spike. And that was because of the effects, the effects of vinegar on the cells to uptake the glucose from your blood. So I thought that's pretty cool. That is fascinating. And it's such a true thing. Like I referencing, yeah, like some of my research I've done around like medicine pre the 1900s, it was like what you said, like medicine was around the individual case around what is this, what interacts with your body, what's going on, taking this more holistic understanding of you as this essence and how things interacted with you. Um, and then it was in the 1900s where we kind of focused more around diseases and the commonalities of people respond to diseases and medications for that. But it really loses out that the systems perspective of each individual human body system that I think is such a helpful tip of reinfor reinforcing with folks who are listening is that like, yeah, pay attention and like learn what works with your body and that like it's true, right? It is what's what, what is that cause uh, that's happening within your body when you eat certain things um, is happening. And that's, that's learning you can do. For sure. And like um, learning to listen to your body is so important. The, there's one more thing I'll say about the morning water. And a lot of people, my sister really does not like this, but uh, I will say room temperature water is optimal and filtered pure water is the best. So, um, you know, everyone can do what they can do best. So if that means you can't, you're not going to drink your lemon water because you don't want it at room temperature, then make it cold. I, you know, do what you're going to do, find the spot that feels best for you, that, you know, you're going to do on a regular basis, keep the consistency and then you'll see the difference. So that's the first one. The second thing that everybody can do before they eat their meal when you sit down and you have your food ready for you, this is assuming that you're sitting down to eat. I'm going to make that assumption. Maybe you're standing, but I want 
you to challenge yourself to not grab that sandwich, grab that thing and run out the door and eat it in your car or on the subway or wherever it is. Really challenge yourself to have the practice of taking a second to, to sit and eat. Um, so when you sit down before you eat or when you stop, maybe you're not sitting, when you stop to eat, take three nice deep breaths, challenge yourself to make your, your, your exhale just a little bit longer than your inhale. This helps you get out of the sympathetic nervous system into parasympathetic. And we often don't know, we don't talk about, you know, we talk about rest, uh, sorry, we talk about fight or flight all the time. We don't often know what the contrary of that is, which is rest and digest. And so we need to get ourselves into that rest and digest phase to properly uh, to properly digest and to properly uh, um, absorb the nutrients from the food that we're eating. Yeah. And I think that's so like weaving in the chronic pain, like perspective, like that's such an important thing of helping people move from sympathetic to parasympathetic, especially if we're in pain that, and even though you're in pain, you can actually still shift and activate your parasympathetic nervous system. Um, and that's also going to help things with actually feeling hungry and those things and actually allowing your body to digest, absorb that nutrients, uh, to allow your body to heal. Like our body does have like self-healing functions in it. And one of that ways, yeah, I love that of is creating that space, uh, to actually prepare yourself to actually consume food. It also helps with the blood sugar balance because when we're in stress, our cortisol levels go up, which, yes. which actually release sugar into our blood because it's giving us the energy to run away or fight. Um, but when we're in that chronic stress and we're not doing those things, so we're not expending that energy that's been released into our blood, we're going to see that blood sugar spike. And then we'll see that insulin response, um, which causes those like spikes and dips in our blood sugar, which um, isn't helpful for our overall well-being, our overall energy levels, and our overall levels of inflammation. And actually, it's really interesting. I'm just adding back to when you talked about vinegar. Uh, so in my diet, I'm going to use diet in the way of like what I've been just trying. I've been trying to incorporate more like just like nice snacks, um, nutritional snacks. And so I cucumber and vinegar and oil is like something I love because uh, the tartness gives me a little bit of sweetness almost. Um, but I've also been doing better kind of lately with my inflammation and things uh, and like my sugar levels that I'm like, oh, I had no idea. And I think actually it's probably from some of this vinegar that has been quite increased. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. And the olive oil, like if you're using extra virgin olive oil in there is really um, good. Often one of the one of the protocols or diets that I suggest to folks, if they're, you know, a lot of folks are very good at or like to be in a box. So there's rules to follow. Um, they find that easy. And if that is the case, especially with my perinatal clients, I often suggest the Mediterranean diet or a Mediterranean style diet um, with, you know, good quality olive oils, uh, that is uh, extra virgin olive oil in a glass bottle, a dark glass bottle. Um, so olive oil is very susceptible to light. And so you want to find a dark bottle, either a, gla- a dark glass bottle or um, often they come in like cans. Um, so anyway, 
the Mediterranean diet is a very good one and that fits right in there. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And actually, yeah. And I know for, um, arthritis because of like inflammation levels that often, uh, like that's something that we recommend is the Mediterranean diet, which makes a lot of sense when we actually dive into like some of the mechanisms and functions that those protocols can have, uh, and like, oh yeah, the actual science is a thing. What? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what we what we keep talking about is the power of food. And I think that, you know, the more you're able to listen to your body, the more you come become in tuned with the feelings that you get when you put food in your body, um, the more you can listen to what feels good and you can eat accordingly. I always tell clients, you know, we sort of lose that. If you look at a small child and you give them Halloween candy, let's take. So around Halloween, it's always a thing. Um, I learned this from my mother who was a teacher that around Halloween was a little bit of a nightmare time in the, in the classroom because kids have an instant response. And so you give a kid a chocolate bar, they have that, that sugar spike. They get really, really, really hyper. They're going to go off the chains, get really wild and, um, sort of, yeah, just out of control, some kids. And then you're going to see that crash. And then, um, it's very obvious in children, but as adults, we become more distanced from that feeling, or we don't, you know, we don't attribute it to that chocolate bar or that, monster drink we had at lunch or that coffee that we had um to keep us going because we're just sort of like doing our thing so should we be like giving out like apple cider shots in the school system around (laughs) halloween time is that (laughs) i don't think you could pay a teacher enough to do that (laughs) uh so okay let's say i do these things the i'm i the two things already, I know there's a third one, the lemon water, I'm doing that. I'm waiting. Um, I'm taking a little bit more mindfulness, which is just great to have in our lives, but especially before I'm eating, what changes am I going to start noticing? So I think you'll, you'll notice the, so an energy increase, a better relationship with what you're eating. I think the, with the second mindfulness practice with food, I think that that really allows us to tune into what we're eating. It allows us to take the time when we're consuming food to notice our feelings of being full. Um, we may not overeat as much. We may, we may also take time to um, make different choices when it comes to food if you're taking the time to prepare something versus just grab something and go. So it's just really, you know, the mindful, the, the mindfulness practice really can help with our food choices, but it's more of a subconscious effect that happens. It's not necessarily that I'm saying like, you need to stop and think about what you're eating because nobody wants to be told that it's like that. I, I want you to sit down and take a deep breath before you put that food in your mouth. And then when you're doing that, it really allows you to be more mindful um, and enjoy the food that you're eating. I think that's also, also like, ultimately that's what's most important for me is that you're enjoying what you're eating. 
and you're not just eating because it's like what you're supposed to do. The lemon water is really going to help with energy. I think that's the biggest thing is that you'll see, you'll see that digestive shift. You'll see that your digestion will work a little bit better. Maybe you're pooping once a day. I hope at least maybe twice a day. Um, and you'll see that maybe things are moving through you a little bit better. Maybe with this more mindfulness, you're becoming in tune with things that like don't sit so well. So maybe you notice that dairy isn't great for you or, when you eat that one thing, you don't poop for two days and maybe I shouldn't eat that one thing anymore. Just things like that. I think, you know, these practices really help you notice food. Yeah. And it's so important. Like I know one thing for me, it's specific. It is pizza, mm. but like not, it's not like, like spaghetti is fine. Pizza is not. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I think, yeah, that. I like what you say about, yeah, just building more awareness, that connection with our food, with what we're doing, how it impacts our bodies, making decisions that are good for us, right? That we know are going to be like restorative for us and taking that mindfulness is a great opportunity, even just to practice gratitude of like Mm -hmm. grateful, right? Of just that moment of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I think those are... uh, yeah, great things to start, right? Even that, yeah, those can, nice, easy things to start um, around people working on being more nutritional and that relationship with their food. And so what's number three? So number three, and this may come easier with the lemon water. This is specific for coffee drinkers, which I know is a large population of people. My challenge to you is to try to drink your coffee after you've had your breakfast. So again, we're going to go back to that sort of sugar cortisol, cortisol spike that happens. Coffee is a stimulant. And so it causes that cortisol spike, which then causes your blood sugar to rise. If you have a full stomach, the coffee doesn't go into your system quite as fast. And then you don't see that spike the same way. It's more beneficial for your overall energy levels. It's more beneficial for your hormone levels. And it's really going to be a little bit more sustaining throughout the day than it would be if you had your coffee on an empty stomach. That being said, if that's really hard for you, another thing you can try is adding collagen to your coffee. There are a lot of different, um, types that you can get now. There's some that, you know, I think they even have like collagen creamers uh, that you can get. Again, just make sure you're checking those labels to make sure there's not too much junk in there. But um, that's a good option either as well as, or if you're going to be a strong, hard, no, there's no way I can have my coffee before I eat, then that would be what I would say you should do. But my my first choice is that you're having one cup of coffee after you eat your breakfast. Which I was like, Oh good. I was like that. Like it is a like behavioral difficult thing, but not a cognitively difficult Mm -hmm. thing of like, that requires a lot of executive functioning. Um, That yeah. Like those are nice three things um, to start practicing that I know is going to really impact people's um, 
energy levels. Uh, and I'm having a thought as we're talking about this. One thing I'm wondering too, when we talk about, I guess, rituals with before you eat your meal, um, what is, uh, is it better to go for a walk after you eat? Um, is that a thing? I know swimming, you're not supposed to, but. <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Um, yes. So this for the same reason. So with that, so when you eat your blood sugar increases. Um, so there's many things that we can do to sort of make sure that it doesn't spike the way that we like, you know, there's a range that we want to keep it in and going for a walk after you eat is the same effect as that, um, as like fighting or flight or, or running. So we're going for a walk, we're using our muscles. And when you use your muscles, it's pulling the sugar out of your blood. And so yes, for sure. Going for a walk after you eat is helpful for your blood sugar control. It's also going to be helpful for digestion because if you're just sitting on the couch in a really bad, you know, we often sit like slouched down. It's really not, um, helpful for our digestive system when we're sitting like that. So if you're sitting, or sorry, if you're out for a walk, you're going to be more upright. Your body's going to be moving as you're using your muscles. It's going to help push your food through, help your body assimilate and absorb the nutrients that you need from your food. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was something I was wondering, like, again, with chronic pain and a lot of things, like we talk about motion is lotion. Um, and it's so important that, uh, I also like to help people with like, how can we kill two birds with one stone, right? If we should be having movement in your day uh, and you want to get more energy levels, well, if you walk after your meal, it's a great way, uh, great way to practice mindfulness. It also helps with that parasympathetic nervous system that rest and digest. Um, yeah. And like not, yeah. I mean, you touched on this, but the like mental health benefits, um, especially and I don't know so much science around this. It's more like a personal experience thing, but I have heard there's a little bit of um, truth to it scientifically. But in the evening, um, what I've heard is that the the ions are closer. There's ions that are closer to the earth. So within our, you know, our height level. Um, so when you're walking, it's sort of like charged and you you absorb some of that energy in your body as you're experiencing nature in that time. Uh, similar like theory to like forest bathing, I think. Yeah. Again, don't quote me on that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Take that with what, no, well, and that makes sense. Even like, it's kind of like, I know um, when people go on vacations uh, near an ocean and it's more relaxed, it's also because of the salt that's in the air that is like, environment we and like that's something I really get frustrated about I'll rant for a second is that a lot of the work that I do with clients is really shifting people empowering people with lifestyle things that really have a big impact and that medicine around pharmaceutical medicine specifically is like often our go-to but it's usually has more side effects it's not it's not addressing root causes and there's so much around our nature, our way of moving, our way of like consuming that can have such profound healing impacts on our body. For sure. For sure. And I think, you know, 
I've taken so much time in the last little while to really like, um, get to know myself, but in a different level than like just getting to know like who I am more about like getting to know what those practices are that are so important for me. I think my partner's tired of me saying like, Hey, I just figured out this thing that I'm going to do. And it's so helpful. And I'm going to do it every day now. Um, but it's so true. Like I've started walking three kilometers every morning with my dog. We go on this trail. That's like pretty covered by the forest. Uh, it's right beside the lake and it's very great. And honestly, on mornings that I don't do that, I have my productivity level throughout the day is way lower than the mornings when I do do it. So, you know, for me, and I was thinking about this when we came to chat, because we had that conversation, we had a previous conversation about what wellness means to me, but you know, for me, these are the things that I know I need to do in my life on a regular basis to keep myself well, because I know that I'm, you know, more susceptible to, to depressive symptoms and to things that really can, um, things that can get in the way of my productivity, um, and my happiness and my overall well-being. And so I'm constantly on this search for things. And so that, that all that is to say is that like, it's an ever evolving thing. And it, I think it should be for everyone because life changes and things change and scenarios change, um, to sort of figure out what makes you feel the best in this season of life. Also, I want to do a bit of a shame Let's plug, because uh, when you talk about building those habits and things like that, that's one of the things that we did when we, Sison's building our, our app for folks around, like, what are the habits that I want to do? And being able to like track, like, how did I feel after that? And help just create a structure that helps facilitate that process of like, and it has like, motiv- like uh, motivational things like gamification and streaks and things like that to keep you going. But like, there is a lot of cognitive work in that. And so we developed our platform to help with that, but it is a big thing. It's like, it is a, an ever growing learning of yourself of when maybe you get new health ailments and things are going to change that, that learning of ourselves and our bodies, uh, how things our body interacts with things is something that's just never talked about. And is so important, like you're describing. For sure. Yeah. You had two things. Is there oh, I, I wove them together. Oh, I wove okay. them together. I did a nice <laughs> little segue there after my shameless plug and then was like, perfect. Being um, attentive is great. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit, and I think this fits here is, you know, it comes back to that, like learning about how things affect you and, um, I struggled with an eating disorder for a number of years. And in my recovery, what I noticed is that I never experienced hunger. And so it was like having to relearn to listen to my body, to find out when I was hungry, because I would realize that I hadn't eaten in a number of hours. And the way that I would realize was because my hands were shaky or I was feeling faint. Um, And so it was like, yeah, retraining my body to, 
send those signals and also retraining myself to learn to listen to those signals and what they were and how that felt before I got to that point, because, you know, that's the blood sugar crash that we don't want. Um, and so that even for me now, many years later is still a learning curve and I'm still trying to find those, those ways to find comfort with food and, um, I remember I had this, um, this therapist that I worked with who said to me that she said that, and I think about her so often, she said to me that one poutine that you ate last night, isn't going to make it or break it for you. And I honestly, she was like my first therapist in recovery. And, um, I, I think back to that single sentence so many times when I allow myself to freely enjoy food. And that's why my philosophy around food when I'm working with clients isn't restrictive and isn't um, exclusive because I there is no benefit to that for anyone. And so that's where my sort of like philosophy around nutrition stems from. And, and I think for me, that's really important to share with the folks that I work with. Yeah. And there's that. Yeah. And I like what you said too, that again, that listening to the body, uh, learning that body and how also sometimes if we're not hearing the messages, our body will tell it to us in different ways uh, yeah. that uh, even for me with, with chronic pain, it was uh, I would disassociate from my body and I wouldn't feel the pain really. Uh and then I would throw up, like my body would like literally like to tell like, hello, listen to me. Um, and it was because I was pushing myself too hard and just, uh, yeah, it's such a process. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that um, in a lot of folks with stress mm. because stress is such a, mm, very, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? It's like not because stress is not an obvious, um, thing. It happens in the body in so many different ways that, um, it affects people so differently and it can be, you know, a rash that comes out on your chest or on your arms or like whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't have to make sense. And so I think that, yeah, that's something that's really interesting for me when I'm working with clients, especially in the perinatal and fertility support and fertility, it's a big thing to help folks find avenues for mindfulness and decompression and stress release because, you know, I've never been in it myself and I can't really imagine what it's like, but when you're on that journey, it contributes, like, not only do you have your everyday stresses that you, that other people experience as well, but then you, you have this additional stress that's sort of always constantly there of the challenges that you're experiencing with fertility. And, you know, there's also a lot of sentiments around, you know, just relax and then you'll be able to make a baby. And, um, 
that's never helpful for anyone. So, um, finding those ways to find stress relief is really important when it's possible and being easy on yourself. Yeah. And that stress, like stress is just, uh, what it does to the body is so, um, like just like right we talked about cortisol right it impacts our levels of inflammation in our body and uh and that yeah like and also the power we have within ourselves to find mindfulness relievers of stress to kind of try and decompress that uh it's often not talked about enough of like oh it's like let's like stress is like an actual thing that like is probably it's a force on your body um that uh yeah spending that time and that's why i have issues with self-care culture sometimes of like i like to say taking care of yourself but actually taking like what do you need to uh to really activate that parasympathetic nervous system yeah i like what you said um the power within us to manage stress. And I think that that's not talked about a lot. I think that we, you know, I think that it is more common now that we're talking about the implications of stress, but what to do about it. And sure. Yeah. This self-care concept is there, but taking a bubble bath or going shopping isn't necessarily going to help. And so, um, learning those avenues. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the time when I work with clients, um, who are more type a or, you know, focused on like, uh, focused on business or, or, or however it is could never conceptualize laying down and meditating. Like that isn't accessible for them. That isn't anything that's ever going to happen. Their mind will not shut off when they do that. And so I think, you know, we need to talk about the other options like going for a walk in the forest or playing with your dog. Like there are so many things that you can do that seem simple that are stress relieving that we don't talk about. And it's, again, it's the same thing with nutrition. And I think you alluded to this at the beginning, but like that it isn't this all or nothing kind of thing. And that's, that's, so important, you know, it's not like, oh, well, if I can't meditate for 10 minutes, then I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Or if I'm not going to go on the keto diet, then I'm just going to keep eating the way that I'm eating. You know, it's what are the small things that I can do today, tomorrow, the next day that are going to change the, the course of how things are going. So, you know, if you have a straight road, and you're driving on that straight road. Well, if your steering wheel is a little bit to the left, you're only going to stay on that road for a little bit longer. And so it's those little changes that we can make that will steer us in a new direction that can cause a pretty big change. You know, over two months, if you were driving on that road, you'd end up in a completely different destination than if you kept going straight. So I think, I think we really need to talk about those little tiny things and, you know, if you want that change to happen in a shorter period of time, then that's your commitment to making bigger changes um, and staying consistent. But all that is to say is it doesn't have to be that scary. Yeah. And for stress, one of my favorite frameworks uh, that I use a lot with folks with chronic pain, it's uh, 
It's uh, called Dims and Sims, uh, which are dangers in me's and safeties in me. Uh, and so those can be places, they can be sounds, they can be activities. Uh, but the thing that I love about this framework is that what is a danger for someone could be a safety for someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we can look at like, uh, especially with our sympathetic nervous system is like, do I have a lot of dangers in me right now? Like there's a looming deadline, whatever it is. Um, what can I do to mitigate dangers around me? And what can I do to enhance some of my safeties in me? Being around people that are comfortable with me, doing things that I enjoy, uh, changing the environment I'm in. Uh, but I just love the framework because um, and each, not all dims and sims are equal. Some are weighted more. And so it's just such a, I feel like a more tangible tool of looking sometimes when we're looking at stresses of uh, how can I look at things uh, and respond to things. Yeah, I like that. I think that that also makes it a little bit more, especially for that type A kind of person, it makes it a little bit more like achievable or like you can cross those things off the list, um, which is helpful. And also, again, it comes back to that, like, it's a little bit different than the like self-care movement that we're seeing right now, but it's still very much self-care in the, in the frame of doing these things to increase the safeties so that I can feel at ease in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And really, yeah. Help that uh, parasympathetic nervous system uh, and, and connection is also a really great way to do that. Mm. What I, something uh, I'm curious about uh, is for someone who, like you mentioned, uh, your past with eating disorders, uh, if someone's on that uh, road of recovery in that process, thinking about it, uh, is there anything that's really helpful that you've kind of gained over the years um, in that experience? Hmm. Great question. I mean, I did a lot of work with, with professionals as far as the mind stuff goes. Um, as I mentioned, I worked with a number of therapists. I think, you know, it sounds silly. And when someone told me to do it, I thought like, okay, That was literally, I think, is how I, my response internally was when I was told this practice. Um, And you hear it a lot, so it's not going to be anything super profound. But the first thing was I removed all mirrors from my bedroom. So I have been a number of years without a mirror in my bedroom. Um, I got rid of a scale also in my life many, many years ago. Um, which is funny because I just had to step on a scale yesterday and it was a little bit triggering for me. I didn't look, but I did have to do that. Um, and the positive self-talk, the forced positive self-talk. And I say forced because it was not organic. It, it never was organic in the beginning. Uh, I would look at myself in the mirror and I would 
honestly stand there and I would say the things that I was supposed to say all the time. And I remember, I don't remember the day. I don't remember the moment, but I remember the feeling when I looked at myself in the mirror for one of the first times and it organically came to me. Mm. Um, I think that it was only that consistent practice that shifted that. And that work was hard. It took a long time. Um, but that shift in seeing myself in a different way really allowed me to be a different person. And I will say when I first got into nutrition, a lot of it came back. A lot of those, those feelings of like, well, no one will listen to me because I not the stereotypical, but like I, I'm not healthy or I don't look healthy or I'm not what people would aspire to be. So why would they listen to me? That kind of self-talk really came back and was really challenging for me. And I think, you know, over time I've worked on that and I have come to understand again, that like everybody's body is different. My body is here. And honestly, this is how my body is meant to be. I'm, I'm maybe pre COVID. I was as healthy as I have been. Um, but I, it, and that, even that little saying pre COVID, like my body is who it is now. I, and I have to say that I have to force myself to say that still. Um, but, but less so. And so I think that that was the biggest and most profound shift for me. Yeah, I really appreciate you you sharing, which was also very profound. Uh, but that that importance of showing up, right, and doing that right in that mirror of doing that of knowing like this is important for me. I'm doing this as an act of self love. I don't feel that feeling when I'm saying it, and then also sharing that like. And then it did happen, right? It took a long time, but it did happen. And the importance of, I know psychologically, right? Like that rehearsal, that um, kind of fake it till you make it, right? Allowing ourselves can just, uh, yeah, build a cycle that's really profound, but it can take a while to like get it there. And that's okay. That's part of the process, but that uh, it's okay if you don't see the success. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, I was just thinking this, I've never thought this before, but it, it is sort of like imposter syndrome, like, right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm telling myself that I'm a beautiful person, but I don't feel like that. So like in the same scenario, I am telling myself I'm a holistic nutritionist, but maybe I don't feel that. Or like, you know, what, it, whatever it is, it's the same sort of thing. It's just getting yourself there and trusting yourself that you can get to the point that you want to be as knowledgeable as you want to be, or as beautiful as you want to feel, or all those things. It's sort of, it's sort of just the same sort of mechanism. I mean, maybe it's not, I don't, I'm not a psychologist. But. <laughs> so one of the things I know, like I, I work with a lot of folks who are neurodivergent, um, who have ADHD and uh, that executive functioning can be really hard for folks. It's like, there's just so many things to do. Which one, uh, which decision? When I'm going grocery shopping, I have 50 kinds of tomato pieces and I have uh, organic and all these things. And like, what are some helpful high level things 
for people to keep in mind of like frozen versus canned, like, can you speak to some, uh, some tips around that? Um, so in the produce side of things, there's, um, there's two options already. So there's the fresh conventional and then there's fresh organic. Um, and so knowing, you know, if, if that route is accessible to you, knowing what is important. So buying everything organic is maybe not the right choice, like not necessary. So there is what's called the dirty dozen. Um, if you just Google it, you can find it's the top 12 things that are important to buy organic. Um, I th- like strawberries are on there, spinach is on there. So there's just like a few things there that are um, very important to buy organic because they're more chemically loaded, if that's the best way to say it. And then when you're looking at like the different, uh, the preserved goods, like the different uh, options, what are best? So flash frozen is good. When they're flash frozen, they actually don't lose a ton of nutritional value. Um, dried goods are great. So being dried beans are really great, uh, a little more labor intensive when you go to cook them, but it's worth, it's worth the effort. If you're able to do that, if you have the space in your kitchen to do that, um, I would say that canned are sort of the worst. So when we're talking about, um, like quality canned goods, are not so great for a number of reasons. When when they're canned, they're heated to really high temperatures, which causes them to lose a lot of their nutritional value. Also, a lot of cans are lined with um, sort of like a plastic or a nylon, which is usually BPA or has some of BPA's sister's brothers in there. Um, so there's BPB, um, there's different chemicals. And when they're heated to really high temperatures, those leach right into the food. And so canned is not the best. So jarred, like if you're going to get tomato sauces and things like that, opt for glass jars. That's a little bit more, um, a little bit better. And then also there are some cans that you can see like right on the label, it'll say like BPA free or something. So there are a few companies that are canned that are a little bit better as far as like the can quality. So that's good too. So if like canned soup is something that you can't live without. Um, there are a few brands that, that are, can't, that are healthier as far as like their ingredients, but also as far as the can itself. Yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. That's so helpful. Yeah. It's just cause there's so many things there that options and I buy canned, um, mm-hmm. which I'm going to be switching now to frozen. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, my stomach, thank you. My body, thanks you. Yeah. And also now there's so many more options as far as frozen goes. Like you can buy um, frozen, like there's a ton of frozen fruits, but also like frozen vegetables, frozen. I think you can eat to even buy some frozen beans and things. So um, that's great. If you have the freezer space for it, it's great to opt for frozen. Um, frozen vegetable mixes are also a lot cheaper than fresh vegetables, especially nowadays that things are a lot more expensive. So I would say frozen vegetables are the most accessible and you can get organic frozen vegetables as well. So that's great. And yeah, I think, yeah. And like, there is still that those, when we're buying that frozen, there's still that nutritional benefit. I think that's a concern sometimes, like for myself, I know when I didn't know, right. Like, Oh, can I even get like, is this even worth it? Uh, 
that there right. is still that nutrients that you're getting. Yeah. And great for smoothies. So you can have your frozen fruits, but also like there's frozen cauliflower that's like riced up. Great to throw into a smoothie. Um, you can get soybeans. So great to throw in for a little bit of protein, a really easy way to get your vegetables into a smoothie. Also avocado is another one. And you can play around with them and find fun colors like beets are good. They make your smoothies really pretty. Uh, but be careful when you're checking your stools <laughs> afterward. There's a great video on TikTok about like 911. And it's like, it's like, hey, did you have beets? It's like, oh yeah, that's what it was. Uh, <laughs> yes, but, your poop and your pee may change color. Yeah, because uh, I like beets and sometimes it freaks me out because I will like sometimes have blood in my stool and then it's not the blood. It's actually just beets. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the joys of when you're chronically ill of like the things <laughs> of some people. Yeah. They're like, when you're chronically ill talking about your stools, it's like, Oh, this is just a part of life. Um, <laughs> As is with a nutritionist. Yeah. Uh, I love plus- when my clients say like, is this too much information? I'm like, no, I literally just ask what your poo looks like. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you have like ink blots, but they're like, which of your poops does it look like? Uh, For sure. Fluffy floaters we want, folks, just so everyone knows. Okay, so now uh, you brought up the one point I did want to hit, too, is... uh, like, so when, when would I go to a nutritionist? Uh, I'm like, what are some things I could go to for? Cause I know that's a thing for a lot of people. They're like, I don't really know what that person does or when I should. So could you speak to that a little? For sure. So, um, my practice is a little bit different because I have a specialization and a lot of folks do. Um, but I would say, you know, I think that there's a lot of different times that you would see a nutritionist, um, For instance, uh, I think in recovery from an eating disorder would be a really helpful time. I think that a lot of nutrition, a lot of nutritionists and holistic nutritionists and, um, are, are helpful guides in how to sort of bridge that relationship with food. I think also if you're feeling, you know, you're not feeling your best self. So if you're feeling like you're like tired, you don't have the energy that you think you should. You wake up in the morning and it's like, you have to pull yourself out of bed. And then when you go to sleep at night, you cannot fall asleep. You feel exhausted, but you can't fall asleep. Those are all good times to seek some support. I think if there's something specific that you want to achieve. So for my clinic, for my practice, I work with folks who are trying to get pregnant, who maybe are having challenges or folks who are seeking um, fertility support through the more medicalized system. So if you're, you know, getting an IUI or an IVF, I support them nutritionally through that process. Um, but even for folks who are suffering with depression, it's a helpful thing to see a nutritionist because food has so much power to help heal in so many ways. So really, if you're not feeling your 100% self, I would say, if it's accessible to you, I would suggest seeing a nutritionist. Yeah. And that it's so important. Like uh, we don't really think, I think about as a society, like we think, Oh, I take this pill. 
it has an interaction in my system, my body system. The same thing happens with food, like different foods. There's a lot of like, uh, I know uh, turmeric is really good for helping with the inflammation. Uh, there are so many things like uh, that are medicines, that food is medicine that can just help us with uh, improving us and like being able to access a nutritionist who can help us with like building that in, finding out where to start with whatever our goals are, I think is uh, so powerful. I think one of the things, and I think you talked about this in your first podcast, but I think one of the things that's really important to know is that when your body is doing the healing and when the food is helping with the healing, it takes some time. And so there's not going to be that one thing that you can eat today that's going to make you feel better. There are a few sort of magic things that I will say, you know, do help, but they're not going to help in the same way as a pharmaceutical would. And I think that, I mean, back to your point about the way that the medical system has evolved, I think that that's one thing that's sort of a challenge for folks who practice things like nutrition uh, because our society is so used to getting a pill or a whatever that's going to make things better today or tomorrow. Um, we need to guide our clients and folks into having the patience to, to put in the time and the effort to see the results. I think the thing that nutrition offers as far as putting the medicine into your body is that it gives you a little bit more ownership over how your body heals and over that whole process of your body. So like I mentioned that I support folks who are, are accessing IUIs or IVFs, um, through fertility support. Um, what I've heard a lot is that, you know, there's a lot of medical language that's used. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of things that are happening and there's a lot that's happening to your body that you don't have control over. Um, and so pairing it with the nutritional support, it gives you a little bit more control back. And so through fertility support, as well as all the other portions that I, that I work with, that's the, the piece that's really important that I find is really important through nutrition is giving people the power to support themselves. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's, that's a great place to close. I think like, that's just like, what a nice little nugget to end on. Uh, Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was such a lovely conversation. Uh, yeah, I love the directions we went into it. Uh, organically built on the last theme around like body and relationships things. Uh, and so, yeah, thank you so much for sharing uh, so much wisdom with us. Thanks so much for having me. I love having all the opportunities to talk about nutrition, but I also love all the opportunities I get to talk to you. So I appreciate that we got to combine the two. Yeah, it was so great. And yeah, I definitely think we'll, we'll be doing another one, I'm sure, on another cool topic. Perfect. I can't wait. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sophie. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ready When You Are. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of upcoming episodes. Also, if you love health and wellness tips or just want to stay into tune with what we're doing, you can follow System on Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok with the handle at MySystem. We also just launched the beta testing of our platform. You should check it out on our website at systemca slash platform. 
Thank you all for joining. See you all next time. And remember, we are ready when you are.